Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. I am no artist, but I am a consumer of art. And I've had the joy, and I'm actually glad my father-in-law's here this morning. We've had, the, we've had some opportunities over the years to talk a little bit of art. We do some work at, the state, fa- at state fair together around the fine arts department. And so while all y'all are walking around looking at everything else, we're just sitting there looking at the pictures, and he's teaching me a little bit here and there. And so every once in a while, I pick up on a little piece of art, and something that I heard, which sounds profoundly spiritual to me, might be familiar to you, but it comes from the mouth of the great artist Michelangelo one of history's greatest artists, certainly one of the church's most inspired artists, and perhaps history's greatest sculptor, the creator of David, the creator of the Pieta, and other remarkable works of sculpture, once famously described his work thus. He says, every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it is the task of the sculptor to discover it. He says, every block of stone has a statue inside of it and is the task of the sculptor to discover it. He says, I saw the angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. The artistry of a sculptor certainly involves the development of fine skill. One of the things I cannot figure out, and I haven't had a chance to ask Dad this yet, but how in the world do you take marble and get it that smooth? Like, there are, like, even if I took a block and wanted to make it smooth, I wouldn't know how to do it, let alone this beautiful piece of artwork. Certainly, there is the development of fine skill that goes into sculpting. But the most remarkable skill of all is the ability to see the beauty that lays inside the block of stone, the angel that needs to be set free. I want you to hold this image in your mind as we discuss this most glorious of church holidays, what we call Pentecost. Pentecost is often described as the birthday of the church, and I suppose there's some merit to that. But sometimes when we describe it that way, what we, what we sometimes inadvertently mean or how it is heard is that somehow there was no presence of the Spirit. It was not a, not a serious presence of the Spirit until, the Pentecost, until Pentecost had happened. But if we track the work of the Holy Spirit and the history of the Spirit's activity within the people of God, we know that Pentecost is not some introduction of a new person of the Trinity. At all times, the Spirit has been at work in the shared life of God's people. The Spirit had always been there. We can go all the way back to, we can go all the way back to Adam and Eve when God bent down and blew into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and we can hear in those words a little bit of this Holy Spirit imagery. The Old Testament saints, Moses, David, Abraham, go on and on and on, are all described as having some form of the Spirit. Indeed, we, and indeed we, might, we don't even need to go any farther back then the days following Christ's resurrection, and you might remember Thomas's famous scene where he says, unless I see the hands and I put my hand in his side, I will not believe. That whole scene is a wash in the Holy Spirit. Because before Thomas starts talking to us about his doubts, Jesus comes to them, he appears to them and says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. The scriptures say, when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. 
So the Spirit is alive and active and present before the day of Pentecost. So this, of course, begs the question for us, well then, what is the Holy Spirit? What does it do? How are we to interact with it? And what is Pentecost all about? What is the Holy Spirit? That's a tricky one. But for today, let, us suffice, let it suffice to say that whatever it was in Jesus that connected him to the Father, whatever it was in Jesus that gave him that remarkable spirit of compassion, whatever it was that enabled Jesus to care for and to challenge the people of his day, particularly the apostles who followed him day by day, step by step for three years through his public ministry, Whatever that thing is that made Jesus Jesus, that is what has been handed off to the apostles. Whatever it was in Jesus now resides in the apostles. And of course, we remember that Jesus had been doing the work of rabbi for three years. He had been teaching those apostles, sharing with them, exploring with them. Yes, even challenging them and rebuking them from time to time. But these are all parts of the process of spiritual formation. So in these final days before the ascension, Jesus completes the work. It says he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, the church is planted. The seeds of the church are sown. At that moment, they are no longer Jesus' students. They are the body of Christ because they share the same spirit that Jesus had. They are united to Christ and they share his life. Not separated from it, not just trying to figure it out. They share the life. The life of Jesus now resides in them. Now, of course, surely there is much to learn for the apostles. Anybody who reads the New Testament knows the apostles are still tripping over themselves from time to time. One of my favorite scenes is Peter and Paul get into quite a spitting fit, okay, right after, because they've got two different ideas of what it means to be a spirit-filled person. They They don't live perfectly with the spirit. There are bumps along the way, but the spirit is fully and completely there inside of the apostles, They trusted Christ's word, so they knew this in some deep and profound way. It wasn't the apostles who didn't know this. It was the world who hadn't figured out what God had just done. That is Pentecost. Pentecost is the full revelation of what God has always been up to. What we get on Pentecost is the apostles, and by this I also mean the church of Jesus Christ, in the hands of the sculptor Christ, emerging from the stone of their failures and fallenness into the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ, showing the apostles finally for the beautiful, faithful, and courageous, not perfect, but beautiful people that Jesus had formed them to be. Indeed, Peter, the one who had betrayed Jesus like two months before, He betrayed him because he was scared to death of being exposed. Is now the one who is exposed as the mouthpiece of this new era of what God is doing. These final days as the prophet describes them. And what Peter shares is an ancient reflection from the prophet Joel that suggests that God's ways will no longer be limited to a small group of spiritual elites. He says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. As one of my pastors as a kid said a lot, and it sticks in my head to this day, all means all, and that's all all can mean. When Jesus says all flesh, what he means is all flesh. 
And he says, and your sons and your daughters, the ones that we often in that society would have deemed lower than us because they come after us, they shall prophesy. They're the ones who are going to tell you what God is doing. He says, your young men shall see visions. They're the one who knows where God is going. He says, your old men shall dream dreams. I know how old men go. Well, this is just the way I am. No, they're the ones who are seeing dreams being dreamt. Even upon my servants, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit. Those who are working for us are brothers and sisters because the spirit resides in them and they shall prophesy. God's presence is no longer limited to the holy. God's presence is no longer limited to just this one class of people. It is freely shared and it is out for all. That has implications for you and me. Because today is often a day, we won't do it today for all the obvious reasons, but today is often a day that we celebrate our baptisms and often we would celebrate confirmation. I was going back over the liturgies just to remind myself, liturgies I've done before and thinking about people that I've had the blessing to confirm and thinking about what those liturgies often say. And so in confirmation, this day that we quote unquote receive the Holy Spirit, what is it that we are promised? Well, one of the prayers that I often use goes like this. Almighty God, who in baptism received these your servants into your holy church, forgave their sins and promised them eternal life, increase in them the gifts of your Holy Spirit. Increase. Not give, right, not give for the first time. Increase the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the assumption that is made in this prayer, and I didn't write that prayer. People write better prayers than me. I figured we might as well use them. But this is a beautiful prayer. The assumption made here is that the Holy Spirit, not just a little piece of the Spirit, not just a seed, but the entire third person of the Trinity is present in each and every child. We are not on a journey to discover the Spirit. We are not hoping to be good enough that we might attain the Spirit. Yes, each of us, each and every child of God already has the fullness of the Holy Spirit residing in us. What was in Christ is in you. What connected Christ to the Father is the same thing that connects you to the Father. And what allowed Christ to lavish compassion on the poor and marginalized is now enabling you to lavish compassion on the poor and marginalized where you are. We're not trying to get it, but what we do need is a sculptor to reveal it. And as Paul says later to the Ephesians, says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. We are the ones that God is chiseling on, not to fix us, but to reveal us as we are to be the angel, as Michelangelo puts it, that resides in each and every one of us. Furthermore, he says elsewhere, he says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The sculptor is at it, smoothing out the rough edges, knocking off that piece of you that you think you simply cannot live without only to discover that it was the right call all along. We are not trying to attain the Holy Spirit, but to discover who and what we already are right now as we sit. That is the journey of discipleship we set out on what we call the season of Pentecost. Yes, in so many ways we are being sent to the world, but also in a, in a very profound sense, we are being sent inward into ourselves to discover who and what God has made us to be.
It is a journey of formation, discovery, challenge, failure, yes, and forgiveness as well. But through it all, Christ is at work in you, bringing the image of God, the character of God that is already present in you to full fruition. I had the blessing of hearing this exact thing happen just a couple of days ago. On Wednesday, we gathered to celebrate daily prayer. To say, this is what we've done for the last year. Why did we do this? That was, that was kind of the question that we were asking. Why? And why did you all keep showing up? Which still flabbergasts me. But I'm, I'm blessed beyond belief to know that that's been the case. And the consistent theme that I heard, maybe some of you who were there heard something else, but what I heard was this constant theme, I discovered something. I discovered a bigger community. I discovered the slow and steady work of an order of prayer and a rule of life. I discovered the power of intercession. I discovered new things in the scriptures. Surely we all, every one of us who's participating in that, knows something of this. We know intercession's important. We know the Bible's important. We know all these things. But it was as if something had been revealed that had previously been hidden. And it was the slow, steady, patient work of prayer Sometimes feeling super joyful about being there, other times barely making it in our pajama pants. But nevertheless, we were there, and those things were revealed. That's exactly it. These things are revealed in us. And that's exactly how it can work in a church. Believing that the Spirit is fully present here, believing that our formation is not yet complete, believing that so much is yet to be revealed in us that isn't that isn't, you know, sort of this weird whittling down of ourselves, but rather is the full flourishing of who we are called to be. That is the hope, and that is why the church takes the long, slow, remarkable journey that we call faith. That is what Pentecost is all about. My friends, I challenge you, as we step into these summer months, as we step into this season of Pentecost, do not be afraid to let God show you who you are. Do not be afraid to let God say, let me chip away the stuff that you don't need so that I can show you exactly what I made you to be. That is the beauty of Pentecost, and that is the journey that we set out on this day and in the days to come. Amen. Amen.